Hello and welcome to David's Politics Show. Populism. The word has been on every journalist, pundit, and would-be commentator's lips in the past few years. It's been thrown around to describe and supposedly explain political dynamics from Russia to Italy, from the UK to the US, and as far afield as the Philippines. But what does it really mean? And what is the intellectual history of this concept? Where did it originate and why? My guest today has written a much needed new history of populism and indeed of anti-populism, reminding us of populism's central place in the history of the American democratic experiment. Thomas Frank is the author of a number of acclaimed books on American politics and culture. He is perhaps best known for his 2004 book, What's the Matter with Kansas, which detailed the way in which the Republican Party had leveraged polarizing cultural issues to win over the, the allegiance of working-class Americans to whom the Democratic Party no longer had much to say. His most recent book is titled The People, No, A Brief History of Anti-Populism, a thoroughly refreshing reminder of American populism's origins in reformist movements and of the ways in which elites have always tried, often successfully, to demean and defame such efforts. So I'm delighted to welcome him to the show to talk about the politics of populism and indeed of anti-populism, both past and present. Thomas Frank, it's a pleasure to have you on. Welcome. David, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. So, so here we are approaching the end of the first year of uh, Biden's presidency, and uh, there's been a, a very unpleasant surprise already for the Democrats in the, in the gubernatorial race in Virginia. Yeah. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to begin our conversation today by, by asking you to share with us, in broad brushstrokes, your general sense of where the American left, um, if there is such a thing, is today intellectually and, and almost ideologically. And what I mean by that is not so much whether you think Biden will be able to pass this or that bill or, or, with, with, or with which price tag, but rather, what are, what are the ideas, in your view, which are driving uh, liberal politics at the moment? Mm. Okay, so that's, you know, this, is a, this is a, has become a really big subject uh, just here in the last couple of years mm -hmm. as the sort of... Um, so I've always identified uh, as a you know pro labor pro working class uh, economics oriented um, you know person on the left. I'm most mm -hmm. people in America would think that I'm I'm pretty far to the left. In fact, I get I get teased about it all the time. You know right. that, that my views are considered like um, unacceptable here in America. I mean I've been teased about it all my life. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, What's funny though is here in the last couple of years, the 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 left, such as it is in America, isn't concerned with those things anymore. Right. Yeah. It, it's been it's been awakened. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was sleeping, but now it's awake. Right. It's woke, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and uh, 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 you know we can talk about the um, the the good elements of this and the bad elements of it. But mm -hmm. what's what's happened is that is that I mean a, a really strange thing that there has been this. Um, uh, uh, it's now considered unacceptable to talk about uh, class or economic issues. Uh, the, the only uh, issues that matter on the left are ones of identity, um, yeah. you know, race, gender, et cetera, mm -hmm. and uh, not class. Class is out. 
Yeah. Uh, there's something suspicious about class in general. This is this is well known, by the way. This is not me. This is not like my unique interpretation. But what really makes this interesting is that this form of leftism has both uh, conquered the corporate world in a way that people like me never had any hope of doing, has conquered the corporate world, conquered the academic world, and yet is despised by the public. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah that's really, the curious it's thing. It's really isn't strange. It? Yeah, so, yeah. so we're living in this moment where, uh, where, where like um, CEOs and the CIA, and just I saw this great example yesterday the American Medical Association and Microsoft, they're all mm-hmm. using this kind of, of radical language. Language that, that 20 years ago would have been something you only found in left wing academia. They're all using this now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, these are some of the most um, uh, anti-progressive, most conservative forces in our entire society. Yeah, and yeah. they're not—they're not really going to change what they do or 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 how they act. But they are—they have adopted this very radical way of talking. So some mm-hmm. certain kinds of 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 left practice and left wingers. Uh, have are are prospering like you wouldn't believe right now. I mean, they're winning prizes. They're getting you know. Oh, absolutely. Also, yeah. they are the toast of uh, of the powerful. Mm. It's the new chic thing, right? It's really strange. And then and then at the same time, people uh, who have you know been pushing this kind of economic uh, or class narrative all these years, they're sort of left. You know, they're they've been left out of the big party left out of the celebration. I'm I'm not complaining here. I I mm-hmm. don't have anything to complain about personally. I am very happy with my lot. Okay? But mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but but nevertheless, this is this is what has happened and it's 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 it is the strangest thing to live through because it's simultaneously the left is triumphant in America in a way that I that I thought I would never see in my lifetime and at the same mm-hmm. time it's completely marginalized. Yeah. So, yeah, so you get to figure that out, David. You went to Stanford. <laughs> you you figured right. that out. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's an incredible it's an incredible bait and switch, right? When you think about it, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of you know in the '60s, and maybe we can we can we can get to that uh, later on. The role of the '60s here in the '60s, you know, there was this idea that, especially on the left, it was an idea that was associated with the left primarily, that um, somehow a more more relaxed kind of norms about sexuality were in and of itself. Uh, radical and even in a, in a way revolutionary. Yeah, and you know there were all these expressions of free love and so on and so forth. It was associated mostly with the hippie with the hippie movement, etc. Yeah, and then of course that too was was entirely swallowed up by by you know by if you want to call it that kind of modern capitalism or whatever. Yeah, the, I know, you know a guy the, that wrote a book about that. Okay, it was me. I wrote a book right. about it. It's called, uh, <laughs> it's, called the, <laughs> it's called the conquest of cool. You're right. This was yes, my, yes, my exactly. this was my mm-hmm. first book. It was uh, that was my what I studied in graduate school. I was absolutely fascinated mm-hmm. by what you're describing because we could see it happening around us at the same time. I was really into like punk rock and all that stuff. And okay. this is in the early 90s when that was just getting swallowed up by, you know, the big record labels, advertising agencies, you know, mm-hmm. it was becoming mm-hmm. mainstream. And I was fasc- I became fascinated by that phenomenon. How does that sort of thing happen? And mm-hmm. so I, I decided to study, I resolved to study the original example of that. You know, how did the counterculture become mainstream culture in the 60s and 70s? Mm-hmm. And it is a fascinating story. 
So yeah. rather than just um, you know looking at at Life magazine or whatever, I actually went and read. Um, you know, I, I studied the co-opters. I studied you know the advertising agencies, the people at the you know the people who uh, control are, you know, the commanding heights of American culture. And at, like, at, you know, why did they like this stuff so much? What mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. was the yeah. appeal? It's actually a really, really interesting uh, story. But there's, there's a deeper level where, the, okay, so there's a lot of parallels with that today. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this kind of, uh, of, of radicalism being embraced by uh, mainstream culture. But there's another way that's much more insidious, um, much more harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is this, uh, in the late sixties, this general turning against the working class, against the proletariat by people on the left, by the enlightened, you know, um, the new left. And, uh, the, specifically it would, it would be the white working class. Although back then the, 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 n- n- that would have been an unusual way to put it. They would just use the phrase mm-hmm. working class. And, uh, you see this, this is, I, I, I sort of traced this story in, in my book about uh, about anti-populism, how the left turned against um, the working class, and you see this in it, all over from you know like uh, SDS, which was this radical uh, student movement in the mm-hmm. '60s, the sort of the 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 sort of uh, what would you call it the the the, uh, the vanguard of the new left. Uh, you see it from there. You see it in Hollywood. You see it in in the the culture generally. There was a TV show about this uh, called All in the Family about what you know what assholes white working class people are. Okay. Lovable assholes, right? And right, uh, yeah. and there there were you know countless movies about this. And and you're not going to believe this, David. Politically, this this turned out to be like not the best message in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, incredible. <laughs> this got, this got, uh, I mean, this made for, you know, Richard Nixon got elected, it got mm-hmm. reelected in this massive landslide. And it, it's, and the Democratic Party just could not, uh, uh, I mean, this is, there were, the Democratic Party actually talked about this. It's so, you know, how I was telling you, I studied these like advertising executives and stuff in the 60s, uh, talking about why they were doing what they were doing. I did the same thing with the Democratic Party in my last book. It was called, the book was called Listen Liberal. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, it is available in French. <laughs> oh, interesting! It's also big pieces of it are available in German. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, we did a I did an anthology of my writing in German that came out two years ago, just before COVID, called Americanic, mm-hmm. and uh, it it's actually really good. It's a I, it's one of my well, it doesn't matter anymore. I like it, but I wrote <laughs> it. Of course, I like it. But yeah. anyhow, the, the the story is the Democratic Party was was quite open about this. Uh-huh. about turning away from unions, turning away from working class people in general, and turning towards what they consider to be a more enlightened um, cohort, uh, the kids on the, you know, coming off the college campuses, uh, the, you know, professional elite. They had all these sort of adoring names that they came up with for this class of people, this new group mm-hmm. that they wanted to reach out to. <laughs> right. The creative class, right? The creative <laughs> class. That's, that's one of them. They yeah. also call them the learning class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? That's not condescending at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's like some people are in the working class, but others are right. in the learning class, you know, the class that learns. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, it's, um, I want to belong to that class. That sounds nice. I I know. And, and and this class is so righteous, everything they get, they deserve, you know, they have, because they've, they've gone to good schools and they're, and they're, they're very enlightened and they're Mm -hmm. anti-racist, et cetera, et cetera. 
and 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 the Democrats are like, well, that's that's obviously we should be the party of those people. You know, that just it, for them in the in the seventies and eighties, that was just like it was a no brainer. It was so obvious to them that that's what they needed to be. Mm-hmm. And in the nineties, when the you know new economy comes along, they take this as basically uh, the affirmation of of God, you know, that they were right that, that you know, that, that yeah, the right. working class is finished. We ma- good. Thank God we made the right choice. <sighs> so, you know, yeah. here we so, are. So, so, and, and, <laughs> so that's, that's, a, that's a puzzle though, right? In a way, because there, there have been a lot of electoral defeats and they're just keep, you know, like I said, oh, it's, they, is uh, it, wait, so electorally it's a disaster. Right. So yeah. as when the Democrats adopt this ideology is when they start losing. So McGovern, specifically George McGovern, is like one of the authors of this way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the guy that 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 wanders into the worst like defeat of all time, or one of the worst defeats of all time in '72. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make a they make a sort of a comeback after Watergate, you know, in '76. But since then, it's been just one defeat after another. You know, colossal defeats. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but. I'm older than you. When I was young, the Democratic Party always controlled Congress. Always. Mm-hmm, right. They had a permanent majority in Congress. They'd had it since the year 1930. And you ask yourself, well, why, why is that? Why did the Democrats have that? Uh, and why do they not have it any longer? And the, if you ask somebody that in the 1970s, they'd be like, well, duh, the Democrats are the party of the vast majority of Americans, you know, working class people. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's obvious. And in 1994, they lost that. And mm-hmm. they are, you know, it's been nip and tuck ever since then. Sometimes they they get back in, other times they don't. But the idea that Republicans would, uh, that basically we're now in a situation where, uh, uh, you know, I live in Washington, D.C., all my liberal friends basically write off the lower house of Congress as a Republican stronghold that they are only every now and then going to get controlled. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. And that's where yeah. we are. That's what this ideology has got us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that despite enormous uh, class-based issues, right? I mean, we had a whole financial oh, well, crisis. <laughs> we had yeah, a more- now don't get me, I mean, of course, I was yeah. about to say don't get me started, but that's why you've got me on here. Right. This is- <laughs> To, so to the get American you started. Public, yeah, the, the American public hates liberals, and it hates uh, yeah. the sort of image of liberals. But if you ask them about the issues, mm-hmm. I mean, of you know, like uh, let's you know poll on universal health care for example <laughs> well guess right. what the public really likes that how about like a living wage oh yeah people like that mm-hmm. how about you know uh, uh uh you know colleges should not be allowed to you know bankrupt us anymore oh yeah people people think that's great you know you go down the list of traditional left issues like should the air be clean it, mm-hmm. it, these all enjoy enormous public support right so the public is massively on the side of these these kind of left wing issues, but the public at the same time can't stand liberals. Yeah, 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 and it's it's in a way it's not hard to see why, right? I mean, when when all you hear from representatives of the Democratic Party or liberal so called activists in general is this constant barrage, uh, kind of ideological barrage, precisely about everything other than class. And and about yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's so interesting. It's about inherited inherited traits, right? It's about race and you know your sexual orientation and mm-hmm. so on and so. Forth. It's about things that you can't change, essentially. Yeah. Well, look, those those things are not are not. I mean, I don't want to go too far here. That's that's an important part of of who we are on the left. That is, you know, th- this is uh, uh, that's what the left has always been in America. Has been you know to to 
since back before the Civil War is mm-hmm. about you know fighting against um, you know uh, uh, racism, slavery, uh, uh, Jim sure, Crow, yeah. racial segregation, all of these things. Uh, you know that that is one of the the defining aspects of the left in this country. Mm-hmm. What is fascinating to me, and the, and the same with uh, the same with with. Um, with with feminism, okay. So these are these are absolutely core elements of the left tradition in this country. What's fascinating is that they have, um, is that the the sort of leaders of the left now have peeled those away from this other enormous element, this other enormous part of the story, which is of course the economic story, the class sure, story. Yeah. And so you know when I, I write about the populist movement. You know, in the 1890s, which is in some ways the birth of a modern left in America. Although it's hard for Americans to think of it that way because it's a movement of farmers, and mm-hmm. and, right, and it's yeah. a movement that comes from um, uh, places in the West like Kansas and places yeah. in the South like Georgia. And so uh, Americans think, well, that that is impossible for that to be, you know, an element mm-hmm. of of you know modernity. But in fact. It was. This was this. This is where uh, sort of modern social democratic politics got its start, and this was by the standards of its day a fairly anti-racist movement, mm-hmm. and a and I you know nobody thinks about this. Nobody even knows it in America. It was a feminist movement. This was the only political party in the 1890s, the only major party in the 1890s that had women leaders. Yeah, that's uh, and extraordinary. In fact, yeah. And in fact, got the uh, uh, got women's suffrage past mm-hmm. in Colorado and in Idaho. These are states where populism uh, dominated for a while. And they, in those, and they also did it uh, to some degree in Kansas. I just, I bring this up because I just got back from, I just, I've been, I spent a lot of the summer and the fall in, uh, in my home state of Kansas. And this is sort of one of the things that Kansas is proud of, that it was a, an early adopter on women's issues. And that was, a lot of that was because of populism. Anyhow, I get, I get sidetracked. No, that's that's absolutely uh, the the center of where I wanted to take this conversation. Uh, and in fact, let's let's move on to to your latest book. And we've already kind of sketched out some of some of the issues. But give us a give us a sense of what uh, kind of what what the origins of this movement were. What were politics about in the nineteenth century? What were the main issues? And why was there kind of a need? Why did folks perceive that the, the need for a new politics and indeed a new party to to represent their interests? Well, the <clears throat> the two main parties at the time, this is in the late 19th century, the two, two main parties uh, represented um, uh, different, you know, sort of coalitions, uh, mainly defined by ethnicity and religion and region, of course. So in America, the Democrats mm-hmm. were the party of the South, Republicans were the party of the industrial North. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, they're very, um, um, uh, they're also defined by... Um, uh, religion, ethnicity, that kind of thing. Anyhow, mm-hmm. so, okay, late 19th century, both of the the Democrats and the Republicans in America, they had very different groups of supporters and, in fact, were incredibly antagonistic towards one another, called each other the most incredible names, you know. <laughs> okay. And, uh, uh, but we're, we're, both of them were fairly orthodox on on economic issues. Uh, they believed almost as a as a religious matter that government had to stay out of uh, the economy. Government, uh, except mm-hmm. for in one respect, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, uh, uh, you know that the the, the the capitalism was basically unregulated. Um, there was no income tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the one thing they did do the government would. Um, 
would help out big business uh, on occasion. They uh, they helped out the railroads all the time. They would, if there were strikes, they would always intervene with force on mm-hmm. the side of management. Uh, that kind of thing. So government made it, very, you know, the, the the ideal of governing in America was basically classical economics. We were on the gold standard. Uh, there was, you know, uh, there was no such thing as a budget deficit, <laughs> basically. I mean, you, they might run into the red every now and then, but they had to get out of it right away, uh, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this, you know, this is, you've got gigantic monopolies growing up all, all over America. We don't really have good income statistics, but it, uh, what we know suggests that, it, that the, the levels of inequality, of income inequality, were, were, were staggering. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, there's really no way to measure. I mean, there's, economists have tried to measure it, but there's really, there's really no way. Uh, and uh, in this, you know, against this backdrop, you have growing up an industrial economy, you have railroads penetrating the entire country. Um, you have global trade. By the way, I should mention the one issue where the two parties were at, uh, you know, at, at complete loggerheads was um, tariffs. Republicans were mm-hmm. high tar- a high tariff party. And the Democrats were low tariff party, and a lot of this had to do with the, the uh, with the, the groups that they um, that they spoke for. So, I mean, it's we don't really need to get into the, those politics because it's all forgotten. And it, interestingly enough, today it's the positions are reversed. Oh, it's the exact opposite. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting how things change. Yeah, yeah. But against this backdrop, you have you know the, an enormous population of farmers. Farmers are about half of 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 the country, mm-hmm. uh, and you have you know these uh, growing population of in, of industrial workers, and these people are 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 going to the wall. These people are being destroyed in this boom and bust economy where there's a you know a, a severe depression every couple of years, and um, uh, uh, interestingly enough, it is farmers who take the lead in organizing and trying to set up a kind of social democratic party. Mm-hmm. First, they first they organize themselves as a group called the Farmers Alliance, where the idea is that they can take control of uh, you know of their immediate economic surroundings by setting up farmer co-ops. This is the idea okay. because you know farmers are there's millions and millions of them they're, they're they're inherently unorganized and they're always at the mercy of some railroad or some uh, right, yeah. you know some, they're very some vulnerable, powerful, yeah. Yeah, powerful middleman, you know, the uh, Chicago uh, uh you know uh, what do you call it? board of trade this kind of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um so they, they they first try to set up farm co-ops to get the situation under control, but they discover very quickly that the people they're facing off against, the bankers, the railroads, that, that these these incredibly powerful figures, uh, will will basically do anything to undermine them. So they go they as they put it back then they go into politics, mm-hmm. and they set up a third party, and uh, you know based on the principles of this this group, the Farmers Alliance, and. Um, for a lot of them, this was really um, difficult because back then people would identify with their. This, this is going to sound familiar. People with would identify with their political party as it, it was part of who they were. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were a Democrat, it was that was like that was important to you know how you understood your place in the world. If you're a Republican, you know, ditto. Uh, you know, you you probably fought for one of the you know uh, the northern states during the Civil War, or your your you know. Relatives of yours fought for one of the northern, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, which which Can't, wasn't that long ago, right, for them? 
it had been it was 30 years before yeah yeah and uh uh kansas had been a uh obviously a, well uh, not obviously you you're in switzerland well <laughs> you know this kansas was a profoundly northern state profoundly anti-slavery mm-hmm. uh it had been uh, the scene of basically the civil war had started in kansas about uh, five years before it started in the rest of the country and they were you know they were fighting a border war with a with Missouri which was a slave state and they were shooting each other and all this kind of stuff and anyhow this Kansas had this kind of radical uh history this radical past and uh it was no surprise to anyone at the time that this new political party got up and running in Kansas my home state before anywhere else mm-hmm. what did the party stand for they uh they uh they had a a bunch of uh issues that were really important to them one was they wanted government farm programs to keep farmers from being ruined you know farmers are in this in the grip of this boom and bust cycle when they have a bumper crop uh the price goes down to nothing you know mm-hmm. uh, and it, it they they can barely cover their expenses then they have a you know a terrible year and and certain farmers do really well etc cetera, etc cetera. the idea is that you can have government programs to even that out and in fact we have those programs today uh, another thing they wanted was for the government to control the railroads basically through nationalization although there are a lot of intermediate ways and then mm-hmm. the third thing was um the currency. I mentioned that the U.S. was on the gold standard at the time. The gold standard is like one of the worst methods to regulate currency that has ever been invented because the the supply of gold yeah. uh, it doesn't change by very much. There's just not that much gold in the world, and so the, but the population, especially in like the U.S. in the late 19th century, the population is growing by extraordinary numbers. So the, the 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 money supply can't keep up with it, and what this makes for is is deflation. Mm-hmm. So the, if you're a borrower, which farmers are, which the vast majority of Americans are, um, you're screwed because you got to pay back what you borrowed uh, in in money that is worth much more. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, sure. and so yeah. so there so so this is anyhow this is what they demanded these three things, and then they had a bunch of other ancillary things like they wanted to. Um, make it easier to vote. They wanted to clean up the electoral system. Uh, they wanted to give women the right to vote, uh, you know, these sorts of things. But those were the main issues. A, and, lot, uh, a, lot, a lot of the things that we precisely, we, 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 we consider to be reformist, right? In, oh, in absolutely. Yeah. And these are, yeah. these are all things that have been achieved mm-hmm. uh, uh, over the years. Now, these are all like great accomplishments of, you know, the Ameri- American progressives over the last century. Uh, doing all of, all of the things that I just mentioned. So the populists, all of their uh, ideas, eventually did get ac- you know enacted into law. It took a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, little bit of uh, you know just to keep things straight here, the official name of the populist party was the People's Party, but uh, that was in 1890. They come out of nowhere. They win a bunch of elections as the People's Party. They realize immediately. That this is a terrible name, you know, because there's no good adjective form of it, and mm-hmm. uh, and so they make up the word populist. And I, 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 in my research, I was able to to get within about a week uh, to f- figuring out where they when they made it up, you know. Mm-hmm. But it, it, according to the famous news, it's not famous. Nobody knows this. Nobody cares anymore. The mm-hmm. word was made up one day in May of 1891 on a train traveling between Kansas City and uh, Topeka, Kansas. And a bunch of populists were on this train ride with a uh, a fairly well-known Democratic Party politician. And they were sitting around talking about, you know, 
uh, well, we've got this new party. We've got this great platform. You know, we're we're you know we're growing by leaps and bounds, but we got to have a better name for it. And this Democrat uh, spoke Latin. He had learned Latin in in school, mm-hmm. and he said, "Well, you know, the word the Latin word for people is populace. Yeah. <laughs> so why not call yourself the populists?" And they're yeah. like, "Hey!" And and they they instantly knew they had a. a you know, they they had a great word. You know, they'd mm-hmm. made up a fantastic word. It was like I found it in the headlines of some small town Kansas paper a week later. Later, and they had it in enormous letters, populist exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, and now and the, and now it's you know now it means like Donald Trump or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> Marine right. Marine Le Pen. It's just it's bizarre how 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 things change. But uh, anyhow, so so figuring out that change became one of my, you know, uh, that became the the uh, you know what I was what I was after when I was writing the book. Like, how the mm-hmm. hell did it go from meaning this one thing to meaning this other thing? How did that happen? Yeah, it's a great story, actually. No, absolutely, and 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 actually, uh, I should mention for the listeners that there's an excerpt of um, of your book on the Harper's Magazine website. It's also there's a link on 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 your website, yeah. and there yeah. are these amazing cartoons. That did you find them in the archives or 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 where did yes. you get your hands on? Okay, uh, it's actually kind of a uh, so it's kind of an interesting story. So uh, you know, political the the political climate of the 1890s was uh, extremely lively. Let's put it that way. Uh, people participated in politics uh, at a level that's like way beyond what we do today. And there were all of these national political magazines in America that were just filled with political cartoons. Not all of these, there were three. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, two of them were in full color. And, uh, so I'm, I'm going through them at the library of Congress, but one of the, you know, one of them is fairly well known. You can, you can find it online, but the other one is not for whatever reason, it's, it's largely forgotten. And I had, I, I would, what I would do is I would, I would figure out the dates that I wanted um, and then I would buy them on eBay um, oh, okay. because there's, there's people or, or there, I f- wait, basically I found a guy who lives right near me who had all of them in uh, bound volumes uh-huh. from the 1890s. And he would sell me particular issues or even particular cartoons. Um, okay. and, and then I would have, I had them photographed. They're long out of copyright and, and put the, uh, put them in the book. Yeah. But a lot of them, a lot of these magazines I bought uh, on eBay they're not, you know, they're not hard to get, uh, but they are um, unfamiliar. There's, you know, we live in this this world now where if it's not on the internet, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> no, it, yeah. Exactly, yeah. and none of these things are on the internet, so I put them there. Anyhow, yeah, populism. So populism had this 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 history in the early 1890s. It's it's growing and growing, but it's largely regarded as kind of a joke. And these mm-hmm. magazines make fun of the populist leaders, you know, as hayseeds. Uh, they are, you know, they're farmers. They're 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 somewhat ridiculous. Um, you know, they they're, you know, they, they don't know what they're talking about. They're ridiculous people. They don't understand economics. Ha 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 ha. And then and then something crazy happens. Okay, so the in 1894 the economy goes into one of its periodic. Uh, recessions. And this one is really, really bad. They, in mm-hmm. fact, they called it at the time, the Great Depression. And uh, <clears throat> there's this enormous strike. There's a bunch of enormous strikes. One of them is the famous Pullman strike led by Eugene Debs, mm-hmm. uh, which is as close as the U.S. has ever come to a uh, a general strike. They shut down the railroads all over the whole country. 
uh, you know, it's 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 enormous. And the government sends in the the Cleveland, the Democratic president in Washington, Grover Cleveland, actually sends the U.S. Army into Chicago to suppress the strike. And they throw Debs in jail, et cetera. Debs, by the way, then becomes a populist. Kind of an mm-hmm. interesting story. But and then there's all sorts of other crazy things that are going on. But there's massive unemployment. And uh, here's this this third party, the populist party, that is extremely well positioned to capture public anger. And all of a sudden, it starts doing really well. Well, then 1896 comes along. It's an election year, national election year. We're going to elect the president. And what happens? Uh, as I mentioned, Grover Cleveland, the sitting president, is a, is a Democrat. Uh, mm-hmm. The Democratic Party throws him overboard. You know he's he's massively unpopular. He's like doing everything to prop up the gold standard and to suppress organized labor. You know, mm-hmm. and the Democratic Party says to hell with this guy. Uh, he's not going to be our nominee. Uh, they come out in favor of what's called free silver, which was a, a, a it was a way of getting off the gold standard. Um, it's a sort of intermediate step between the gold standard and what we have today. Okay, and uh, and then they nominate this guy. That nobody has ever heard of before for their presidential candidate. He's <laughs> a 36-year-old. You know, the, the cutoff for being allowed to run is 35. Right. Yeah. He's thir- he's 36. He's a one-term congressman from Nebraska. His name is William Jennings Bryan. And what he has going for him is he is this incredible orator, like incredible. He's got this preternatural ability with words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got an incredible voice. And he the words that he uses are populist words. He has completely swiped the populist vocabulary, this sort of uh, agrarian protest vocabulary. Now, he's not with the populists on all the issues, right? He's not talking about nationalizing the railroads, uh, although he does denounce the railroads all the time. He's not talking about... um, uh, what, what was what was the other issue that I mentioned? Um, the farm program. He's not talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not really talking about votes for women, although he is in favor of that. You know, but he's he's not. You know, he's not talking about those things. He's talking about the currency. They've make this in, into the number one issue in America: gold versus silver. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, about uh, you know a few weeks later, the populist party meets for their convention, and they they look at what the Democrats have done. And they say, "Damn, you know, th- these guys just swiped. They just stole our <laughs> yeah, our thunder, our lunch, as it yeah. were. <laughs> yeah. They ate our lunch. What yeah. are we going to do?" So they, the, a lot of them, are personal friends with with Brian. So they go ahead, and I mean, this is, uh, by the way, this is a very fraught issue with historians. They argue about this all the time. What went wrong for populism? Mm-hmm. Uh, why did they do this? But they they wound up endorsing William Jennings Bryan themselves, uh, endorsing okay. the Democrat for president. They chose their own guy for vice president, but Bryan just totally ignored that guy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Anyhow, so they, but they're thinking, you know, it's a gamble, right? If, if Bryan wins, he'll have to name some of our people to his cabinet, you know, suddenly we, we will be in the government. It'll be, it'll be great. So we're going to, we're going to roll the die I said, take this gamble. And by the way, everybody thought Brian was going to win. This is this, this guy with, you know, he is causing a furor wherever he speaks, you know, mm-hmm. uh, he is the celebrity of the moment. And, um, you know, he's got this great, uh, issue behind him, silver versus gold. It's the class war. And the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the Republicans nominate William McKinley, who is this arch tariff guy. He's, you know, he's, 
huge supporter of tariffs, and of course, a gold standard guy. Uh, mm-hmm. McKinley stands for gold. And uh, the, the country goes berserk uh, upon beholding William Jennings Bryan, this, this okay. guy, this unheard of guy that the Democratic Party has nominated because they're the, the, the sort of Eastern establishment of America all of a sudden realizes this guy has a really good chance of being the next president. Mm-hmm. And they go absolutely crazy with fear. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's it, this kind of hysteria. I'm getting that deja vu here at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this kind of hysteria that overtakes the uh, like American elite. And when I say American elite, I mean bankers, I mean university mm-hmm. presidents, I mean uh, big name professors, I mean society preachers, and of course, uh, journalists. So every newspaper in America, with a handful of exceptions, every newspaper in America is denouncing William Jennings Bryan as, uh, as a communist. But they didn't... They, they didn't have that term then. That didn't really exist. Yeah, so yeah, they would call him. Later, they yeah. would. Ca- they would call him a Jacobin. This is the, this is what they would mm-hmm. do back then. They'd say okay. he was he was Robespierre, you know, coming to you know Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, ready <laughs> you to know, cut everyone's heads off. Exactly. This was they. They would say this is anarchy. This is repudiation. You know, mm-hmm. but above all, what it was is populism, and populism became <clears throat> their word for. Uh, it became a kind of term that they used for. The, the class, the the menace of working class people um, mm-hmm. taking over the political system. Uh, it, it was a. It became a kind of shorthand for another word for it would be insolence for yeah, what they're yeah. what they're denouncing. It's insolence. It's it's working class. It's people who aren't well educated, who don't really understand things. They're ordinary farmers and workers, and mm-hmm. they think that they get to control the economy. They think that they should have a say in running, you know, the banks in New York. And this is to, you know, to a lot of people, this is just ab- is patently absurd. Right, the idea yeah. that, you know, this is, this is a, a hilarious joke. And mm-hmm. that's, and that, so populism becomes their shorthand for that, um, this this threat of ordinary people uh you know getting their way in politics of some kind of mass movement of working class people that mm-hmm. is delusional it's a kind of mass uh that what they mean by populism is a kind of mass uh, psychosis right yeah uh and there's all of these people write about anyhow i had great fun researching this part of the book Oh, I bet. All of yeah. these, all of these <laughs> establishment people trying to theorize populism. What is populism? This is in the 1890s. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, all of these university presidents and and high powered like sociologists and economists talking about what populism was, and it's 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 a kind of mass. Uh, you know, it's a it's a mass psychosis. It's when everybody it's when everybody catches the same mental disorder at once, and they all go a little bit crazy. It's it's fascinating. Uh, Anyhow, that was so. There are two definitions. There's one, the, what the populists were themselves, which is a kind of social democratic movement, and the other is how they were understood by the right wing, extremely right wing elite of the day. I mean, right wing is not the right term because that didn't mean anything at the time. But right, uh, ortho, right. orthodox yeah. elite of the day, mm-hmm. which is it's a kind of uh, it's it's a mass working class movement that's in the grip of 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 a kind of psychosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's weirdly enough, that's the definition that we use today. The, the wrong one, right? Yeah, the, the yeah, exactly the, the reactionary <laughs> one, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, that's certain. that's the one that the liberals today use. They don't even know their own history, right? That this is the, this is you guys were populist, you know. Yeah, if we were, exactly. if, if if you and I were around in the eighteen nineties, we would be populists. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, but instead they identify with the, you know, the the William McKinley's. By the way, you know who's right. uh, uh, McKinley had a kind of power behind the throne. McKinley was something of a cipher. Um, okay. He was the last, by the way, the last Civil War president. He was had been a, a major in the Union Army during the Civil War, mm-hmm. and uh, he the sort of power behind the throne was a guy called um, Oh, geez, what was his name? He was a tycoon from Cleveland, Mark Hanna. His name was Mark Hanna, mm-hmm. and Hanna was a was kind of a political genius. Um, and he, uh, you know, he organized this campaign against against William Jennings Bryan, you know, calling him a populist. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> he went around at one point in the campaign. Uh, and by the way, I, I love the dis- there's this great account of this campaign. Historians used to love to write about the or the campaign of 1896. Um, it's completely forgotten today, but they used to love to write about it. And there's this 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 account from the 1930s that's that's brilliant by a guy called Matthew Josephson, and he describes Mark Hanna. He calls him a generalissimo of genius who set okay. about like organizing, he, he, you know, it, it was class war, according to Josephson. It's just, it mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, uh, the working class didn't have a chance. <laughs> you know, they're being led by this guy, William Jennings Bryan, who has no campaign treasury. He's very religious. You know, he, he's, you know, this, this, he, he plays by the rules, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and the Republicans go out and, and, uh, Mark Hanna actually goes door to door in um, lower Manhattan, you know, goes to the different uh, corporate headquarters of America, walks into the office and says, open your books. Mm-hmm. You know, let's see how much, what your profits were last year. And they do it. And he says, we, the Republican Party, are taking 10%. <laughs> okay. and, as a, and they did it. They wrote the check. Uh-huh. And as a result, McKinley had like th- this this incredibly disproportionate campaign treasury. We don't really know what it uh, what it was because they're not they weren't required to divulge that. You know, there was no mm-hmm. system for requiring that back in those days. But it was it was probably on the order of twenty or thirty to one, okay. the amount by which they outspent uh, the Democrats, by which they outspent William Jennings Bryan, and they crushed him. They, they, uh, you know, they issued these pamphlets, uh, the, the ways that they would campaign back then was with pamphlets, with parades, you know, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen a lot of them and, and, you know, the political cartoons that I, uh, that I wrote about and that I, I have on the website. Uh, but the, uh, the pamphlets are just incredible. Um, there's, there's yeah. one called the, the platform of anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because that's that's the yeah. language they used back then. Yeah. yeah, the platform of anarchy, meaning populism, meaning mm-hmm. the meaning William Jennings Bryan, you know, yeah. and it's just this this incredible uh, a work of of class based contempt right. for uh, you know for 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 democratic and populist voters. It's just it's mm-hmm. just incredible, and and they won, they beat him. Now it was it was a near thing, you know. Bryan actually came pretty close in eighteen ninety six, but they uh, okay. they beat him. Mm-hmm. They staved off the the challenge. Anyhow, I've just wasted a half an hour of your time telling you about the campaign of 1896 <laughs> no on the contrary it, it's so interesting and and as you said you know liberals we don't even know our own history right and it's so important yeah it's to, totally forgotten Be, it, and that's yeah. that's that's because all of us uh when we were growing up we would we had to watch a movie called um inherit the wind which mm-hmm. is so william jennings bryan led a really kind of a tragic life he uh he he was 36 when he had his heroic moment on the stage, but he couldn't give it up after being beaten that time, and he had to go back and try again. And he wound up running for president three times. Okay. Uh, he never he was never successful. He was Secretary of State 
uh, under Woodrow Wilson and actually did some, you know, had, uh, you know, did some good things. He was a pacifist, among other things. And he did everything in his he could to keep the U.S. out of World War One. Uh, mm-hmm. And that wound up meaning he resigned. He wasn't Secretary of State for very long. <laughs> okay. He, re- he resigned uh, because he could see the direction we were going in. Um, and then he, he sort of, um, in the 1920s, went deeper and deeper into religious fundamentalism mm. and wound up becoming the nation's uh, sort of uh, leading opponent of the theory of evolution. And, oh, uh, interesting. yes, I know. And it's really, it's really sad. And, the, and wound up, uh, you know, uh, his very tragic final days, he was the, uh, one of the, uh, uh, uh prosecuting attorneys at, at what's called the monkey trial where they, um, the, the state of Tennessee tried to prosecute a school teacher for teaching the theory of evolution. And Brian was there to do, to, to conduct the prosecution. And he got in the course of the trial, which was the the defense was uh, led by Clarence Darrow, uh, and Darrow in in the course of the trial, Darrow succeeded in badly humiliating Brian, you know, personally having this kind of uh, a face off with him, and okay. badly humiliating him. Now, and and there was a movie based on this that all of us saw when we were kids, uh, and and mm-hmm. and Brian just comes off looking like a complete doofus. Right. Uh, I mean, it's it, it, just this, this, this tragic, pathetic uh, loser reciting Bible passages and looking smug. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so nobody knows that he was, that he, that he actually had a heroic chapter of his life, you know? Yeah, and, uh, earlier on, yeah, yeah. We, yep. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's completely forgotten. We also, the details of that, of that sad last episode are, are also forgotten. You know why Brian hated the theory of evolution? No. Nobody knows. Nobody knows why. Social Darwinism. Oh, you know, okay. which is like, which is, is truly an obnoxious doctrine. And yeah, and Brian sure. was, Brian was, was right to uh, oppose social Darwinism, you know, but mm-hmm. he thought it, he thought it followed automatically from evolution. And once oh, you believed, okay. once you believed in evolution, you had to, you had to believe in this kind of monstrous, you mm-hmm. know, extremely right wing doctrine of, of, um, of social Darwinism. So it was out of a good motive in a way, but uh, yeah, but it, but he came off. He did come off looking like a, you yeah. know, like like a religious zealot out of the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the other funny thing about that trial that nobody, and I mean nobody, knows is that Clarence Darrow had actually been a member of the Populist Party and had Brian was oh. a Democrat. Brian never joined populism, uh-huh. but uh, Darrow had been a populist candidate for Congress from Illinois. He didn't didn't win when he was a populist, but he had been a mm-hmm. full blown leader of the populist party. It's funny because they all all the populists after oh we're I, I should have mentioned at some point after this disaster in 1896 after they lost that election, the populist party uh, basically fell to pieces. All the mm-hmm. principles of it started fighting with each other. Uh, suddenly they couldn't win any elections anywhere, and by uh, by 1898 they were they were basically gone. Uh, you know, they had this convention in 1900. They had rented this big hall for it, and nobody showed up. Okay, yeah, that's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really, really sad. But mm-hmm. they all went their separate ways and went on and did other things. So, you know, like Eugene Debs became a leader of the Socialist Party. Uh, Clarence Darrow became this leading trial lawyer in America. You know, they all they all went on and 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 did other things. So it kind but, of fizzled out. Yeah, it it after that after that epic defeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the end of it. Yep. Right. And reform reformists or progressive in, in American political language, 
progressive politics really only came back then with 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 FDR, right? Well, there were, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of intervening chapters that I, mm-hmm. I did not include in the book because my idea was to focus on three important episodes mm-hmm. in the past. And, uh, but there's a lot of other, uh, you know, elements to the story that I left out. For example, the Teddy Roosevelt uh, presidency, Woodrow, yeah, sure, Wilson, yeah. Woodrow Wilson did, you know, was kind of an awful guy on, uh, in terms of, of, uh, uh, racial relations. In fact, he brought segregation back to Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. but he did a lot of good things uh, on, um, in terms of like antitrust, stuff like that, farm yeah. programs. Uh, and, and, uh, and then, yeah, Franklin Roosevelt. But Franklin Roosevelt is, this is the, her- the real heroic period for the, the kind of uh, uh, left tradition in America, such as it is. So, mm-hmm. you know, Roosevelt, arrives again at the at the pit of a terrible depression uh and uh actually puts a lot of the populist program he uses a lot of populist language he puts a lot of the populist program into place uh mm-hmm. and uh it's a it's a great success it's a triumph he's elected president four times in a row harry truman his vice president gets elected a fifth time truman by the way also has a real populist streak to him truman actually had mm-hmm. been a farmer. But this is when you see all the things that I mentioned. Roosevelt takes us off the gold standard. Roosevelt gets a farm program done. Um, Roosevelt, uh, you know, is the first one to enact serious regulation of Wall Street. Uh, This is the Securities and Exchange Mm -hmm. Commission, Um, you know, uh, does a lot of reforms to the Federal Reserve to make it more responsive to the needs of ordinary people. So it's, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a great triumph for the politics of populism, the 1930s and 1940s. And it's it's the heroic days of um, of the progressive movement in America. So yeah, and That's the reaction a- is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> people can't stand Rose. The same people who hated populism, in some yeah. cases, the actual same individuals, mm-hmm. uh, come out of the woodwork to denounce uh, Franklin Roosevelt using the exact same uh, terminology. You know, uh, it, this is again, it's a mass movement of ordinary people, and it's described as a kind of mental illness. Yeah, you know, sure, it's yeah. it's 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 a kind of insolence. It's people uh, aspiring to to control things that they know nothing about. In other words, the economy. You know, the economy should be controlled by Wall Street and the, and the captains of industry. The idea that ordinary people should have a say in it it strikes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking too much, David. No, not at all. It's it, it, not at all. It's, it's it's fascinating to listen to, and it's there are so many parallels, right? I mean, just yeah. the one, the, yeah. the, the one with mental illness. I mean, it, you know, there were literally. I remember. I remember, you know, on MSNBC, you know, there would there would be actual psychiatrists telling us that Trump yeah. was clinically insane. You know, as if yeah. that explained anything. Right? Yeah, I mean, yes. The uh, look, uh, Americans make fun of you can make fun of of people all you want, and there's, uh, I think that's uh, that's sort of fair game. What really drives me up the wall is when these people look at ordinary voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of whom voted for Trump out of desperation. There's no, there's no denying that. That sure, yeah. that really did. Ha- well, people don't deny it in this country all the time, David. It's actually yeah. what yeah. I just said is actually a controversial statement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, looking at these people and uh, attributing everything they're doing to some kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, irrational uh, mm-hmm. or racist sentiment. 
Right. Um, you know, and look, that did that is what motivated some of them. There's no question about it. Sure. That yeah. is that is true. Sure. But that but that's a lot of these people also have legitimate complaints. Trump really was saying things that sounded kind of good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, he was talking about about lousy trade agreements. He mm-hmm. was, you know, he had basically stolen uh, organized labor's talking point on that. He was talking a lot about Wall Street banks getting away with murder. Yeah, which <laughs> and they did. Yep. They, they did. That's yeah. there's no denying that. You can only the, the the only way out of this stuff is to say, well, Barack Obama, you know, the preceding president made no mistakes. You know, mm. <laughs> nothing, right. got, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and, and so, you know, any, you know, everything Trump was saying was appealing to complete irrationality and complete ignorance. And that's just, yeah. it's just not the case. Yeah. It's not uh, plausible, so, right? It's just not plausible. Right, but, but there is this, this tendency among liberals now, and this is a fascinating thing that anti-populism, this, what that, this tendency that I described in 1896, and then it comes up again in the 1930s to uh, despise ordinary people people Mm -hmm. and to understand them as being in the grip of these frenzies, these, these mass psychoses, this, you know, hypnosis, uh, irrationality, uh, that becomes a talking point of the left rather than the right. So uh, all through our history, that's been going back to the days of the American revolution, you know, Alexander Hamilton, uh, you know, uh, various factions in, in, in the American revolution, seriously mistrust ordinary people. Mm-hmm. You cannot give them the vote. They mistrust democracy itself. You can't let ordinary people have a say. That's what you see in the 1890s. It's what you see uh, mobilized against Franklin Roosevelt in the 1930s. And by the way, I should I didn't get this far when we were talking about the 30s, but one of the elements of that is there's a serious racist element uh, on the right in the 1930s. You know, big surprise there, right? You, you yeah, Who knew? Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of eugenics uh, mixed mm-hmm. into the anti-Roosevelt sentiment that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, uh, uh ordinary, yeah, which was you know, serious racism, right? I mean, the, well, yeah, this is the, the real of Hitler. Kind, yeah. yeah. This is mm-hmm. what they look at what's going on across the ocean. And a lot of American right wingers look at fascism and they're like, you know, we could really use some of that here. <laughs> and, and some of them tried to literally tried to get fascist movements going in America. Well, that, you know, thank God for Franklin Roosevelt. <laughs> None of that worked, but they did try. Uh, but what you have to remember is that it, a lot of in, you know, I haven't, I'm not like a big authority on fascism, but there was a lot of mistrust of democracy uh, going on around mm-hmm. the world in the 1930s. And you did see that reflected in the American right in the 1930s. Well, here we are today, and now it's the American left that has adopted a lot of these uh, same talking points, you know, mm-hmm. mass psychosis. Uh, and, and so, Mike, the, the question that I ask is, how in the world did anti-populism flip sides? Yeah, how did it go yeah. from being a doctrine of the right to being a doctrine of the left? It is absolutely fascinating. Right. And you, po- you point out that uh, <laughs> precisely because of the, the disappointment with the, with the 2016 election and so on and so forth, now the, the, a lot of the talk about um, you know, disappointment with the internet more generally, but also with the, you know, with the large platforms, Facebook, et cetera, is, is coming precisely from the left. And, and it, yeah. of course, from an antitrust point of view, it makes, it makes a lot of sense, but there is this, uh, there's always this tendency. Oh, I, think they should, I think that they should break up Facebook tomorrow. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That's, it's just yeah. a sewer. It, it's, it's, in a, it's a complete sewer. Yeah. But that's not what they're talking about doing. The, the, what, they, right, what, yeah. the, what the Democrats in Congress want to do is force 
Facebook to sort of uh, censor their political rivals. I mean, they're they're more they're pretty open about that. You know, right. That's what that's right. what they want. But which, anyhow, which we're, is an we're getting ahead of ourselves here, which is that yeah. you have this after the 2016 election, which is a complete shocker mm-hmm. to everyone but me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, because I'm writing about this stuff at the time, right. and uh, 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 there is this weird reaction among um, the American pundit class that what I call the pundit bureau, because they all, they're all in a little mm-hmm. bubble. They all think yeah. exactly the same. They, they, say, they went to the same they, schools. They, repeat, yeah. they went to the same schools. They repeat each other's talking points. Yeah, they're exactly, they're all exactly mm-hmm. the same with a few exceptions. Um, what sweeps over them is this, uh, uh, this, this great fear that the American public has turned its back on expertise uh, mm-hmm. and the, the American people in their, in their bottomless stupidity have have turned away from what is obviously you know the you know the obvious uh right you know correct right and reason, ideas yeah. mm-hmm. yep and it's they are using whether they know it or not they're using the exact same themes and tropes as in the 1890s and the 1930s that were used by the reactionary right um and uh you know i bet they don't know it <laughs> they don't know it and i tried to yeah. you know i tried to tell them but it's 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 fucking pointless, you know, trying mm-hmm. to in, say something like that in this country. You know, it's just there. There is no vehicle through which I could mm-hmm. say that. Really, yeah. um, you know, you can't get. I can't get on TV anymore in this country, etc. Mm-hmm. And um, anyhow, so yeah, anti-populism becomes a um, becomes a what would you call it? The the, the great theme of the mm-hmm. American left. And, 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 and guess what? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a disastrous way to approach the electorate, as we just learned again on Tuesday. Yeah, you sure. Know, yeah. Yeah. This is, the, you know, like, uh, what, what's his name? Um, uh, Terry McAuliffe was running right, for governor yeah. of, of Virginia. He was a Clinton uh, crony. 100% Clinton, yeah. I remember him, you know, campaigning with Hillary all the time. They used to be Yeah, buddies. yeah. He was, I forget what his role was in Bill Clinton's administration, mm. but, but uh, you know, he was obviously an important player. I'm sorry, I'm blanking out on that now. But he was, he was one of the, the guys, you know, leading figures in pushing the Democratic Party to the right in, mm-hmm. the, in the 1990s. And here he is campaigning in Virginia saying that parents shouldn't have a say in what their children are taught in public schools. Now, I don't really care what the what the particulars of the case are that he's talking about. That's that's one of the dumbest things you can say in yeah. in a democracy <laughs> to say yeah. something like that in a democracy. Is yeah. Just, and, and especially like, so and it's bottomlessly stupid. Yeah, and especially when he knows perfectly well that there are a lot of precisely crazy ideas out there that are coming from the left, right? And that's what the, yeah, that's sure. what the context uh, is, right? Well, look, I, we, we, I actually wrote about this 20 years ago in What's the Matter with Kansas? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and there, I think the parents were, um, the issue was something really stupid, which was the theory of evolution. They were fighting over the theory of evolution again. But mm-hmm. they, they pulled that exact same move. The conservatives in, in Kansas uh, pulled that exact same move and got the... Uh, sort of suckered the uh, local liberals into saying that parents shouldn't have a say in what's taught in schools. Yeah, and I don't care where history you stand repeating on the theory. Itself, right? Yeah, I don't care where you stand on the theory of evolution. You know, uh, that's yeah. a dumb, that's dumb politics. That's really bad politics. Yeah. And th- that's going to bite you if you, you say things like that. That is going to come course, back to yeah. haunt you. And Terry, Terry Mack learned that, <laughs> that lesson in the a terrifying way. way. Yeah. 
So uh, Thomas, let's let's try to end on a on a on an optimistic note here. For oh, I, I gotta go. See you, David. <laughs> hang in there. Hang in there. Just uh, give me some rope here. Um, yeah, for those of us who who would like to see a more effective um, progressive politics, how, how can we? I mean, you mentioned you know just now you, you know even you have difficulty getting on TV, get, getting your ideas out there, and so on and so forth. And it's it's difficult. Yeah, but don't to do don't, that. don't don't cry for me. I'll I'll find a way. I always do. <laughs> all right. You know. All right. But uh, how, how can we kind of try, I mean, of course, writing, you know, writing books like yours and talking about them is important. It's crucial. I think it's, you know, it's one, it's, it's, it's one of the most important things we can do is to, to remind ourselves of, of our history and of a different, of a, of a time when people thought differently, right? When, when the issues were, yeah. were different and there are some parallels, of course, and those are, uh, we have to learn those too. But how can we try to kind of fight back against uh, precisely this, this, this obliviousness on the left to 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 what made the left so successful in in, in the 19th century, both in uh, certainly more in Europe than in the U.S., but which was the focus on class, on yeah. on issues that united people across yeah. other boundaries. Yeah, and that's important to remember that uh, that that class issues are are tend to bring people together. This is this is a way of 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 bringing of making mass movements possible. You know, this is the in fact, this is the only way it, it can be done. Really, is is on a, on the basis of class, yeah. and uh, 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 and we've we a lot of people on the left have forgotten that and are determined. In, I mean, not just forgotten that they're at war with that, and they'll you know they'll they'll cancel your ass uh, yeah. for talking yeah. about that. Yeah. The uh, uh, but the uh, on the on the plus side, I mean, uh, I'm feeling really sorry for Joe Biden right now, but. Uh, I think Biden in his, uh, you know, Biden is this old time, uh, you know, political figure who to some degree gets that. Now he is, he is, he's getting his ass kicked by like Joe Manchin right now. And it's really yeah. embarrassing. I mean, I'm, I, I, I feel really bad for him right now. Mm. Uh, but, and I, and I wish he would fight back and I wish he would get things done, but there are plenty of people in American politics who still understand that Bernie Sanders certainly gets that sherrod mm -hmm. brown the senator from ohio uh, there's lots there's there's lots of democrats who understand that that is the um that is how you win that is how you rally uh yeah. you know uh, uh you know enormous mass movements and it is about the mass movement but then on the other hand you know the democratic party the 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 the, the people who control the uh, uh you know the commanding heights in the democratic party are you know they're interested in social class, but in a very different way. They're interested in this sort of professional elite, this sort of white collar mm -hmm. elite. That's the group that they care most about. They reach out to them. They they uh, embrace their way of looking at the world as though it was perfectly natural and only a fool could object to it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, I'm afraid that if that's the uh, the way that we travel. Um, we are blundering right into another round of Trumpism, you know, mm -hmm, uh, right. whether in Trump, whether with him directly or with, you know, some, oh, some copy. someone else that can play the game that that's not quite as offensive. That's not quite yeah. a big, as much of a bigot, you know, mm -hmm. you, 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 the thing about Trumpism, and I've said this ever since Trump himself first blundered onto the national scene, you take Trump's, um, uh, appeal and strip it of the bigotry you know, put it in the hands of a slightly more intelligent person who knows yeah. how to govern, and you've got a real. Um, uh, that's that's going to be a, a kind of politics is going to be hard to stop. Let's put it that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Uh, you know, Trump 
became president and then wound up doing almost nothing. The only thing he got done, the only big thing he got done was a tax cut. You know, Paul right. Ryan yeah. wrote wrote a tax cut and got and got Trump to got it passed, yeah. you know, because Paul Ryan knows what he's doing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh and Trump deregulated a whole lot. Um uh, That was the devil's no, he, pact that they signed, right? The Republican yep, Party. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But that that's it, right? He didn't get any of his signature things done, really. Uh, yeah. uh, and here comes a pandemic. He has no idea what to do. Right. Um, yeah, he know. just wants it to go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He can't figure it out. He's No, he's utterly incompetent and ineffectual as president. But imagine Trumpist politics in the, in the hands of somebody that does know how to get things done, like a Ted yeah. Cruz. Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it's... It, it, and who's interested in leaving a legacy too, right? Because there were no ideas behind Trump. Trump has yeah, literally Trump, no ideas. There's nothing. Yep, there's nothing there. It's just, it, he's, now this is a man who you you, you mentioned um, uh, seeing psychiatrists diagnosing him from afar. Mm. Look, I I, uh, I think there is something wrong with, with with Trump's brain. I'm not a psychiatrist or anything, but th mm -hmm. like there's clearly the, the the narcissism was just capable of of short circuiting his every, every Oh yeah, thought. sure. There's definitely there's, that. Yeah. <laughs> there's definitely a touch I, of narcissism going on. Yeah. Something is wrong with that guy. That this you yeah. know, he he could not figure it out, you know. He thought that that being president was like like a TV show or something and it was all yeah. about the ratings that you got. He never understood it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but you, you, you put, you, you use Trumpist politics for a guy that really knows what they're doing. And you're talking realignment is what you're talking. You're talking Absolutely, a yeah. serious disaster for the left in this country. And, and I'm, I, you know, I was feeling pretty optimistic about, I, I know you want me to shut up. I was feeling no, really no. optimistic about Biden a few weeks ago. I thought he was going to be able to twist some arms and get his, uh, uh, mm -hmm. get his program through and oh my God. And now he's just, he's cut out all the popular elements of it. It just, he, ugh. this city, this city will drive you crazy, David. I tell you what. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you spend too, too, too much time there or too much time paying attention to the, the, the kind of ins and outs of, uh, of the negotiations for sure. Yeah. 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 It, it'll, it'll drive you nuts. I don't know what to think anymore. I think that they, if he doesn't get this passed, uh, if he doesn't get this passed, he's finished, uh, and the Democrat the Democrats are finished. Now, if he does, um, he might be finished anyway. But at least he'll have a good stimulus. He'll have a, a huge Keynesian stimulus, and mm -hmm. he'll be going into the midterms with the economy roaring, and that'll be good for the Democrats. But uh, uh, if if right. if he uh, if he screws this up, you are looking at another another round of Trump, and that is just like oh my. God god yeah yeah but and, that's where we are my friend yeah and like you said potentially a much more serious trump it, it always used to drive me mad when people you know people said that um you know trump was a fascist and i and i always just kind of want to say if you think that clearly you haven't spent much time reading about actual fascism because let me tell you fascists were serious people right they were not they yeah. were not particularly well, they were as, not particularly pleasant but they knew what they were doing i remember when we we, we argued that we argued over that in 16 and 17 and I remember one of my friends saying to me, you know, fascism implies competence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately it does. <laughs> that's, to some that's, extent, not, right? that's not yeah. what that's not what we're getting with this guy, you yeah, know. Exactly. Yeah. And even and even, you know, the the Capitol riot, I mean, you know, of course it was terrible, but I thought it was it's so interesting, you know, if you if you look at the actual footage, it's that too was like a carnival, right? People just yeah. they, once they got in. They, they, they didn't even, they almost didn't even know what to do there. They, you know, they just kind of pranced around, took some selfies. Yep. Yep. They know? didn't, they didn't, they didn't, 
they weren't even like really uh, resolute about their vandalism. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they didn't bring spray paint with them, you know? Exactly. That's, you know, that's not what coups look like. You know, if you, in, in real coups, you know, people get flat out, like the entire no, opposition is, gets murdered. You know, that's the point some, of the this coup. This is some kind of, it was some kind of, 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 Trump talked these people into like some kind of narcissistic exercise just yeah. to f- feed yeah. his own ego. It's Absolutely. like, we love you so much, Donald Trump. We're going to go into the Capitol. And I, I mean, it was just, it, it, I mean, it, it's, it's Keystone cops. It is deadly serious, by the way. I mean, it, yeah, it, of course, it, it, of course. Or it portends terrible things for the future. Th- that sort of thing was able to happen. But, uh, God, I mean, everything this everything this guy touched was just, just so right. stupid and bad and wrong, you know. And, and of course, of course, he tried to squirrel his way out of it uh, in his yeah, usual yeah, cowardly yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't have to do with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. God, it's like, yeah. Well, I should shut up. It's time to stop. <laughs> well, we're, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you one last question because you you write that this is your final political book. Yeah. Um, is this is more of a personal question, but is that because you'd like to devote your your time and energy to to other endeavors besides writing, or or simply to other oh, topics? I, other topics. So I I, I got into politics uh, backwards. I, I I went to graduate school, studied uh, cultural and intellectual history, mm-hmm. and um, that was my thing. You know, the history of ideas. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of politics, you know, mixed into that, of course, but uh but my first book was that's what it was about, you know, that we talked about that earlier, the the counterculture and how that became mainstream culture. I mean, it's a fascinating mm-hmm. story. And and when I was writing that, I I discovered that um you can't really understand cultural history without understanding the history of business. Mm, and yeah. you know I'm uh, you can call me a, a class reductionist if you want but that's nevertheless in this country that is just that that is just the case if you don't mm-hmm. understand how business works uh, you know you're not going to understand basically anything about this society i mean we are the great commercial society of the world and uh uh and so that was you know my second book was about that you know the um this the the culture of of what they called the new economy in the 1990s mm-hmm. and then um and that led very naturally to the political question. How in the world did we ever vote what you in Europe call neoliberalism? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did the, the public ever vote for a system that has been so bad for them? Yeah, And the, yeah. that takes you, you know, right away to, from business into politics mm-hmm. and into, you know, uh, the story of the conservative revolution and the story of Kansas. Yeah. So... Well, uh, this has been really a lot of fun. And, Anyhow, so uh, now I'm going to get back. I'm going to wa- I'm going to reverse course. <laughs> okay. And go back and do that other stuff that I that I left off 20 years ago. Okay, That's what great. I'm do. Great. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to to the next the next publication. Um, the book we talked about today for the listeners again is "The People Know: A Brief History of Anti-Populism." Right. And there's also um, it just came out in French. It's called voila, uh, le populisme, uh, voila l'ennemi. Oh, here's there, here is the enemy. Populism. Here is the enemy. Yeah. Anyhow, it just came out in French. It's brand new. A fantastic translation. Perfect. Perfect. So, uh, Thomas, thanks so much um, for your time. This was uh, this was great fun, and uh, I'd love to have you back on sometime in the future. You got it, David. Anytime.
Thanks for listening to David's Politics Show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay tuned for more such episodes. Until next time, so long.